And so I thought, gosh, um, maybe I should pursue the stereotype of the only child and, and really see if, in fact, only children are, live up to these expectations at all. Hi, this is Mary May. Welcome to One of One, a podcast made by and for only children. Only children often grow up hearing stereotypes about our existence. We are portrayed as lonely, selfish, maladjusted. But what does the research say? My guest today, Dr. Tony Falbo, has been studying only children like us since the 1970s and is herself an only child. In this podcast, We discuss how she became interested in this research topic and her findings on only children, both in China and the U.S. Tony is a college professor who has spent over 40 years studying only children, and our conversation today took place via Zoom. Well, Tony, first of all, I'd love to hear the story of how you got your name. Right. I was supposed to be a boy. And of course, long ago, people didn't know uh, a pregnant woman was going to have a boy or a girl, but my father definitely wanted a boy. So he only came up with a boy's name, which was Mark. I was going to be Mark. But then lo and behold, I was born and I was a girl. And back in those days, uh, the men were not allowed anywhere near the women who were giving birth. So I was born at midnight and my parents had to stay separated for about 12 hours. So in the meanwhile, both of them had to think up on their own a name. And my mother wanted to call me Jackie. She thought that was a very cute name. Uh, You know, it seemed modern to her. My father, though, wanted to call me Antoinette. Um, And so uh, when they got together, this Tony uh, came up because um, uh, one of the ladies next to my mom in the hospital suggested, well, you know, Antoinette, Jackie, maybe something like Tony would be the right compromise here. And that's how I got the name. And how is it that you came to be an only child? I think both of my parents suffered a great deal as children of the U.S. Depression. Uh, My father, in fact, was an orphan. Uh, He had a lot of older siblings, and both of his parents died, first his mother, then his father. And um, he understood very well that you can have more kids than you can take care of well. Um, And so he was not eager to have a lot of children. He thought that was a problem. My mother was a firstborn, and she uh, ended up having to take care of her siblings a lot. Um, and she also um, had to suffer a lot in the depression um, in that she wanted to go to school, for example, and couldn't go because she didn't have shoes. Um, and then she was able to go and then she wanted to go to college, but she was only able to scrape enough money together to go for one year. You know, and she had friends whose parents had fewer siblings and their, their parents all had more money for her and, and, you know, their children's education. So my mother felt shortchanged also from, you know, the demands of having lots of kids in a family. So I think both of them were quite comfortable with the idea of we'll have one, we'll make sure she goes to college, 
everything will be fine. And did it result in a close relationship with your parents growing up then? Me and them, absolutely. Very close. I think parents do like, if they had a good experience, want to provide that kind of childhood for their children. And uh, my mom um, was allowed to run around outside um, and, uh, you know, would play in streams and, you know, would ride her bike all over and visit with friends and climb trees. And, and that's exactly what she encouraged me to do. You know, I think if I'd had different parents, they would have been perfectly happy for me to stay home and read. And I was the sort of kid who'd love to stay home and read. But my parents shoved me out the door saying, you're going to go out there and get some sunshine and exercise. And I did. And, you know, I, I made a lot of friends and was always very active. Did you do different things with one parent versus another? Or did you tend to do things kind of as a threesome? Well, my mother did most of the everyday caregiving, um, but my dad was very much involved in my childhood. Um, and so when my dad did come home from work, um, he and I would often watch the news together and watch comedies together on TV. And uh, I learned, uh, and my mother was usually working in the kitchen or just taking a break. So um, I had a lot of time with my dad, and I, I learned from that um, that my dad and I must have had a lot of very intimate conversations around the news or around some educational TV show. Uh, one thing that I, I remember um, is that um, I, I was assigned by my social studies teacher um, to a particular 30-minute episode, you know, about the founding fathers. So we were studying that in school. And I, um, I watched it with my dad. And he, um, there was a question at the very end. It's a, a statement made by one of the characters on TV. It said, you know, well, he couldn't be president because of his fatherless condition. And I remember turning to my dad and saying, what does that mean? That he was fatherless. Everybody has a mother and a father. And so my father just explained it to me. He said, well, their parents weren't married to each other. And so they were discriminating against, as it turned out, it was Hamilton. Um, and they discriminated against him. He, he couldn't, you know, stand for a major public office because he had this stain on his reputation. Although, of course, it wasn't his fault. His parents were married to each other. Uh, but all this was explained to me and why I can remember that now was the next day I went to school and uh, the teacher asked how many people had watched the show. I raised my hand and, and then, you know, as part of a little quiz, they asked, he asked just to see if people had picked up on it. The students had picked up on it. He said, what does it mean to be in a fatherless condition? And I knew the answer to that question. I wrote a whole page on this and everything. And I was the only kid. In, in, that, um, in that social studies class that knew the answer to that question. And, you know, th this, I'm sure this kind of thing happened all the time, that he and I were talking all the time about, you know, educational shows or current events. Um, and so, you know, I think that was an important part of our uh, personal relationship. My mom just kind of stepped back um, and she, you know, let us have that time together. 
And how was it that you became interested in pursuing a career in academia? Well, I knew I liked learning. I just, I'm very curious. I love to investigate. Now, this is just my personality. And I thought, what kind of job could I have that I could just keep pursuing that? And given that I do very well in school, I, I thought, well, maybe I'll just be a college professor. And then it became clear to me, I just don't want to teach. I want to be able to do research on my own. So I got myself to a research one uh, university at the University of Texas at Austin. And how was it that you knew this area of studying only children was something that you were interested in from an academic perspective? Well, I had some personal experiences as a, as a child. I had uh, my cousins. So I go up to Minnesota where my father was from and I had a lot of cousins and we would play hide and seek and they lived in a small town and I lived in a big city. I, I lived near Washington, DC. So I was a big city kid and it just boggled my mind uh, that one could live in a small town with maybe 50 houses max and that would be the whole town. And so when I go visit them, I just had a fabulous time running all over and we, we'd play games and with the, uh, my cousins and it, it was, uh, you know, just, you know, wonderful. But every now and then uh, somebody would say, you know, you're not like an only child. And I was like, well, what's an only child supposed to be like? You know, I, I had done all the run around and play outside stuff that my parents wanted me to do, especially my mother, just shoving me out the door. <laughs> and so that I was definitely prone to run all over, even if there were mosquitoes out there. Um, and so I, I just love that. But I, I heard that, that statement, well, you're not like an only child, which meant there had to be a way. So I just kept that thought in my mind. And so when I was a graduate student at UCLA, uh, and I was studying social psychology at that time in the early 70s. We were talking about stereotypes. And of course, there are stereotypes about only children, that they were selfish, lonely, maladjusted. Um, and, um, and in fact, one of the concerns about only children being selfish and lonely and so on was what would drive people to have a second child. Um, so this was a stereotype that had consequences, just like in the early part of the 70s in social psych, we were talking about African-American men. There are stereotypes about them and that people uh, are afraid of violence from them, for example. Um, mm -hmm. And so in anticipation of, of the black man attacking you or stealing from you, then you um, do anticipatory behavior. Uh, like some people say, well, they walk on the other side of the street or they'll lock their door, something like this. And, and so I was seeing how stereotypes about categories of person influenced perceptions as well as behavior. And so I thought, gosh, um, maybe I should pursue the stereotype of the only child and, and really see if, in fact, only children are, live up to these expectations at all. And what have you found in your research? Enormous amount. <laughs> I've been working on this for over 40 years. Um, one of the interesting uh, factors is that in publishing and academia, you usually have to find 
one group is significantly higher or lower than another. And in my research, what I would find often is that only children scored, whatever the variable, scored very similarly to other people. And so there was not a significant difference. But what's odd about it is the belief was so strong that there must be a significant difference that people were willing to publish my results, which were mostly that there were no differences. So on variables like loneliness, for example, only children did not report any aspects of loneliness more or less than other people. And this was, you know, uh, hard to believe, but, you know, I, I had done the work so carefully that uh, people could believe it. And then this would be in the context of, let's say, only children having uh, more positive self-esteem than others, for example, or that they um, would get higher grade point averages than others. So there are more positive um, than negative aspects about only children. So the package altogether tended to uh, contradict the stereotype. And in terms of like birth order, do only children share more similarities with, say, for instance, firstborns or with maybe the youngest child? Did you find any of that in your research? Well, my research typically finds that only children in many ways have similar outcomes to firstborns. Um, and uh, also only children are, are like first and second borns of a two child families. And um, this is not surprising since firstborns are like only children. There's a limited period of time. Uh, you know, it could be a year, it could be even longer. One of the things I'm working on now is that uh, you could have an adolescent only child, you know, they could be 13, for example, and still become a firstborn. So there could be a huge gap between them and the next child, which who could be adopted or a foster child or a half sibling and so on. Um, so that only children and firstborns have a lot in common. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I certainly know of only, of former only children who then got a sibling later in life, um, like that example you mentioned. Yes. Most people don't think about that. Um, but apparently, I mean, this is where I'm working my research now is there's a fair number of Americans who have that experience. Um, and so that when you ask people in their 40s about, you know, do you have any siblings? Did you ever have a sibling? Like one could have died or something. Uh, do you have like half siblings, step siblings? And 95% of, of these 40-year-olds 40 in the United States say, yes, 95% said they had some sort of sibling. So that means only 5% of, um, you know, of, of the population of 40-year-olds uh, is truly an only child. If you look at 13-year-olds, for example, you might come up with as many as 21% of them having no siblings, depending on how you're calculating it and so on. So that's a big gap between 21% of, of the population of 13-year-olds of being the only child versus a 40-year-old only... 5% of them having no siblings. So somewhere in between 13 and 40, people acquire siblings. That's fascinating. It is. I, I, this is where I'm working right now. Just utterly fascinating. You know, and some of it is step-siblings and 
adopted siblings and you know a, a lot of uh, accumulation of siblings it could even the way these uh, questions were phrased you could uh, even talk about well she's like a sister to me so some people are not legally or biologically a sibling but they may be so close to them that that they're like a sister or a brother so that you could have included them if you were a respondent on this survey yeah because I think there is enough in society that kind of suggests that having a sibling is the norm and, and not having a sibling is sort of an outlier that I wonder if it pushes people who are only children to over time, you know, try and acquire these non-biological siblings, let's say, and, and then to have them count that by the time they're 40. Sure. I mean, that's just one adaptation uh, that an individual might, might make. I know your research, you've also done a lot of research on the only child population in China, which is obviously a very unique um, generation of kids who grew up in an only child majority country. And it's something that I've covered on this podcast previously, uh, interviewing a friend of mine who grew up in that environment. But I'm curious from your research, um, what differences, if any, did you find amongst Chinese-only children who kind of grew up in this majority environment compared to like U.S.-only children who were very much the minority growing up? Well, um, some aspects of only children in China are similar to what we see in Western society, um, in particular in the United States. I mean, my research suggests that only children uh, do get more education, for example, than people, especially people from large families. Um, in the United States, we've had this belief that growing up in a large family is really better because you learn about the ebb and flow of life and how to make friends and uh, you know life is really challenging so if you have to sacrifice and make do with all your siblings then that's a good training for life um, so that's been kind of the view but you know the research suggests that uh, if you have no siblings or maybe just one that you'll probably more likely get more education than if you had a lot of siblings and of course, it seems quite likely it's not just a matter that there's probably enhanced vocabulary for only children compared to kids with lots of siblings. I mean, if you're, if you're alone with your parents all the time and want to talk to you, you're, they're going to talk to you in their adult vocabulary, whereas if you're hanging out with a bunch of kids, they're going to talk to you in their, you know, child vocabulary. And so you, you know, it's, it seems likely that only children would acquire more vocabulary, which then uh, leads to better performance in school throughout that educational pipeline. Um, but in addition, and I think probably more importantly, is that uh, parents only have one kid, they probably have more resources to dedicate, you know, to paying the tuition or whatever the fees or travel expenses are for that kid to get whatever degree that, that they want than if you had, you know, six or seven uh, children, siblings. Absolutely. I think just seeing um, the resources that my family members in China are able to devote to their kids. It's like everything from the grandparents down to the parents is going to the child. 
Right. So let me just back up and say a little bit about China. So the ways that it's different um, is that um, the one-child policy really glorified the one-child family. And so um, the idea was that the only children would be uh, become super successful and extremely high quality. And they were encouraged to think of them as getting a lot of education. So parents did spend a lot of money and put a lot of their personal energy into promoting the education of their only child. And this really benefited largely girls because previously if a girl had a brother that parents would favor the brother in terms of, you know, expending money on tuition and so on. But if they only had one kid and it was a girl, then, then that's all they had. So they gave her all of this resource so that she could get more education. So I think the one child policy benefited girls in China um, more than boys in the sense that, you know, compared to what would have been if they'd had brothers, that they ended up getting more education. You don't see this kind of gender effect among Western um, only children. So it seems like there's a lot of positives to being an only child. I'm curious in your research, what are some of the significant negative impacts, if any? Uh, well, one of the things that I, I've learned is that um, only children are a very heterogeneous group. Um, you know, some of them grow up, you know, um, with normal biology, uh, you know, a normal range health, uh, but only children sometimes end up in that category because uh, they may have disabling conditions. Um, so they may be biologically uh, more likely to have mental retardation or uh, other kinds, or maybe autism, you know, people um, have one child and they find out they have, they need a lot of resources because of their special needs. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why they're only children is that the parents think, well, first of all, it takes a lot more of my time and energy to look after this kid. So the thought of having more kids just seems like a crazy person would think to do that. And two, who knows, maybe the second one would have the same disabling condition, and then you'd just be doubling the amount of, of hardship that, that you would have. So only children as a category in the United States are more likely to have uh, people in there with disabling conditions. Their lacking siblings didn't cause their, uh, let's say, neurological challenges. That just how, uh, how they were born and then the parents reacted by not having other children. So the category of only children in the United States has a disproportionate number of people who have special needs. Um, in addition, um, only children as a category in the United States are more likely to be adopted. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, they can't have biologically their own children, so they adopt one. Um, and um, sometimes then they just stop there. Uh, and, and so one reason or another is that they have that kind of special category. On average, you know, adopted people don't, uh, you know, score as high on various tests and so on. They do fine, you know, but they're more um, average um, than what might be expected if, if, uh, if they had not been adopted, if they'd been the biological children of their parents. 
Um, also, another special char characteristic of one-child families is they're more likely to be single-parent families in the United States. And so uh, it is the case that it's a challenge uh, for, um, for people um, just to have one parent. There's less resources and so on. Um, so on average, that's not you know, a benefit typically for a child growing up. Now, it's not the one-child family that causes these differences, but I think these factors certainly do lead to the category of only child having reduced outcomes compared to what we would have expected. You know, your point about adopted children, what I've found just in talking to a variety of individuals who identify as an only child, I think for me, I've come to find that being an only child is is more a product of like the environment that you grow up in. Like you grow up in a household where you are the only child, whether you have one parent or or two parents. Um, and it's less about, you know, biologically, do you have other siblings? Uh, and I'm curious if, if you would agree with that viewpoint um, that, the kind of what we think of as an only child or like these characteristics that might be uh, that might be unique to only children is much more a product of their social environment. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how to respond to that. Um, so some recent information uh, people have been trying to evaluate um, only children and how they spend their time. Um, and, um, you know, they've been large national surveys of time use. And um, they've looked at data from, let's say, six to nine year olds and then uh, teenagers um, living at home. And um, in both cases, these researchers found that um, only children uh, did spend more time alone than kids with siblings. Uh, but in one of these studies, they, they were also able to measure mood, how people felt when they were alone or with their friends, et cetera. And only children, they were not distressed particularly about being alone, uh, but they did spend more time alone. Uh, they also spent more time with parents uh, than did um, other children. So, um, you know, it seems that there's this interesting combination of time with adult and time alone that an only child would have. This might be very positive for some, the development of some kind of attribute such as uh, creativity. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it may set up an environment so that, you know, there could be positive developments. Also this, you know, it's not surprising to me that if that kind of environment you find uh, maybe only children like to read a little bit more, they get more time to do it. So if you have six, seven siblings and everyone's, you know, running around and, and everything, it's harder to sit and read a great book if you're a teenager. Um, it, it just, and more than likely your parents are giving you babysitting uh, responsibilities and chores. Whereas if, you know, there aren't that many chores to do because there's only one or two or three of you in the household, um, then you might have more time to sit and read 
those big books or uh, engage in other kind of individual activities that, uh, you know, are not really uh, easily accomplished by people with a lot of other siblings. Also, the relationship with parents is probably that very close relationship with parents, more time, which, um, you know, have those associated with positive feelings, not negative feelings. Um, then, you know, that's probably a good thing, too, that, you know, only children are not only getting things like vocabulary, uh, but they, they have those kinds of conversations and relationship with parents um, that just more one-on-one -on -one than people with multiple children uh, have. Um, some of these studies also point out that only children have comparable amount of time with peers, uh, particularly adolescents, and you know, so you would, you know, maybe it's that peer time is how only children learn social skills, and and learn how to um, engage in conversation and how to uh, pull back if people are aren't behaving properly and so on. So you learn all these nuances of social behavior through peer interaction, and uh, only children seem to spend as much time on that as as uh, you know as others, people with siblings. And that may be a function of the fact that we go to school and we are always with our age mates. You know, we have first grade, second grade, third grade. So those become our peers and our siblings are either older or younger. So they're in another group. At any rate, this combination of factors, I think probably actually helps only children in many ways that, that we value. I think what, to, what I was kind of expressing earlier is a friend of mine whom I've interviewed for this podcast grew up as the youngest in her family and grew up in a household where her parents brought her over to the U.S. and left her siblings behind in Haiti because they were already old enough to kind of look after themselves. Wow, and so okay. in this way, you know, she grew up essentially as an only child, but very much has several biological siblings. But in so many ways, you know, a lot of the conversations that we have about growing up or thoughts about asking people for help, like it, it's, it feels very similar. And I wonder if some of that has to do with the fact that she grew up in an only child environment, even though she herself is not an only child. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. So, so that kind of time with parents was a possibility for her. Um, mm -hmm. She didn't have to compete with her siblings for time with parents. So she may have had those kinds of benefits. Exactly. Having done all this research on only children, has it changed the way that you view yourself at all as an only child or the way that you view other only children? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, right. I, I don't think it's, uh, my research has um, changed my, how I see myself. Oh, I do want to mention one thing about China, um, mm -hmm. is that uh, apparently something uh, I learned about 10 years ago, which is that uh, it, uh, in, in urban China, uh, it was considered reasonable for a parent, like they had to go to work, so they would have maybe a six-year-old child. And um, on days when they didn't go to school and the parents had to go to work, it's considered reasonable to simply leave the kid alone at home 
lock them into the apartment, leaving food and activities and stuff for them, but just leave them there for 10, 12 hours. I found also that it was, this is a reasonable, thought to be a reasonable thing to do for, uh, in Korea as well. Um, which, you know, in the United States, we'd see, we, we'd call child protective services if somebody did something like this. <laughs> um, but I can imagine uh, there'd be some only children who would have spent like um, 10, 12 hours frequently alone in, that, in the house, uh, which is not something that would be typical for an American at all. Um, so one of the things that happened uh, when the one-child policy was was going on is that in urban China, both moms and dads were working full-time, and they would be working six days a week typically, so that you would have uh, a lot of these um, kids who would be home alone, whereas if you were home alone with a sibling, then you had some role to play, like you were the older sibling, so you could be in charge of your little sister or your little sister could be there trying to emulate the bigger sister. So you had a presence and some sort of uh, play and interaction possibilities. But for that length of time, an only child would be there pretty much alone. And of course they would be reading or, you know, playing the piano or whatever uh, activity they would have to do, but they would be, you know, alone doing it. And that is something that is not typical of, of American only children. No, definitely not. I, I don't think I knew that about China. Um, Me either. Yeah. I mean, fortunately I have it on one of my, some of my data points and I was surprised to see it that people uh, acknowledge that. And that was just, it's not like a thought to be neglect at all. It's just, well, this is what people do. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas in rural areas, uh, children roamed around. Uh, you know, like in the village. And so they're not so much alone. And of course, there weren't that many one-child families in rural areas. So you'd have this collection of, of kids roaming around, spending time together. And this is generally thought in the developmental psychology area as, you know, desirable, a safe environment for children to explore and interact with other children and adults, you know, and that's what was probably happening for most uh, rural kids. Yeah. And I think some of that too was this shift in China where um, back in the day you had government issued housing and everyone that you lived with in this compound were uh, colleagues of your parents and their kids. And so right. it was this right. safe environment. Unit. Exactly. Right, the work unit that dictated your where you lived. Mm -hmm. You know, so everybody in your apartment complex knew your parents. They weren't your relatives, but they had you know a, a working relationship with with parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that model has sort of been replaced with more of like a Western style model of lots of different families that have no relation to one another living in an apartment complex together. Right. Yes, it's changed. Yeah. So in this time of COVID, obviously kind of being isolated, being socially isolated is quite common and it's quite hard on all different populations. 
have you found at all that maybe only children are a little bit more disproportionately impacted? Well, I think it depends on their age group. Um, uh, somebody from the New York Times, of course, called me up uh, and was worried about like three and four year olds and COVID-19 and this, you know, being stuck at home uh, situation. And I reassured them that, you know, when you're that young, you don't have as much peer connection that more time with mommy and daddy just seems like fabulous experience from the kid's point of view. Um, so I, I think it's perhaps possibly the parents needing a break more than the kids having any, any uh, you know, disadvantage from this. But of course, as they move older, then, then they need and want more peer interaction. Um, and so um, uh, if an only child would probably then feel more isolated and pine for other kids. It's been, uh, you know, difficult uh, for them. Um, I think that, um, you know, it's certainly ways of working around this, but if you have a lot of, or several close in age siblings, then you kind of have a, a network going on. And sometimes, you know, that works up smoothly, you know, and you can recreate together as well as Zoom together and so on. But if you only, have, you know, have no siblings, and I think there probably is some, some sadness about, uh, you know, being, feeling so isolated if you have no siblings. But I don't know anybody who's done any research about that just now. And I wonder, too, if, in a way, because only children had so much experience going into this situation of being able to entertain themselves for long periods of time, if that ability to cope helps to offset the the sense of isolation they may feel otherwise. Right. Yeah. I mean, they still would have their parents and, uh, you know, other diversions. So, I, and uh, being alone is not a new experience for uh, only children. So I, I don't think that, that as a group, they're really suffering significantly more than others. I think it's quite possible that they're doing fine and, you know, they're likely to have some place to study. You know, we hear about these kids with, you know, several kids at home and they don't have any place uh, like a desk or no quiet place to do their schoolwork and Zoom. Well, it's more likely uh, if you have no siblings, you would have that kind of environment where you could do your schoolwork and so on. So, I mean, I think that only children are probably not suffering disproportionately. I mean, you know, I'm sure that uh, even if you have a sibling, you still would have a best friend and you still want to be able uh, to see your best friend, you know, who'd be in your same grade with you and so on. So, you know, there's still that pining for your friends, even when you're an adolescent, even, even if you do have siblings. Sure. Well, I'd love to end this interview by turning the platform over to you and um, any message that you want to send to only children out there? Well, I think that uh, only children should should be proud of themselves. And, um, you know, we, there is this negative stereotype that they've had of their being selfish and lonely and maladjusted, but a great deal of empirical research has been done that debunks all this view. And 
uh, only children are not particularly selfish or lonely or maladjusted compared to other people. Um, so, you know, stop being concerned that you may have been harmed. Um, just get out there and be proud of yourself. And I think that, you know, one of the positive things that uh, parents of one child and only children themselves can do is that they may have more time um, and uh, other resources to be able to engage in uh, community activities and uh, social service activities. And um, I think that only children would enjoy that just as any, any kid would. Uh, and I think that the opportunities for one child families is that they can engage in these kinds of activities. It could be, you know, uh, something like, uh, um, you know, social organization that uh, brings water to impoverished Indian villages, or they can be uh, a, an organization that, that uh, rescues dogs or wildlife or any one of a large number of possibilities. So they can be more active in as booster co uh, club members of, of uh, various uh, organizations at school. Uh, so there are just so many options, and I would certainly encourage only children and their parents to get involved in that way. I think that they will uh, enjoy it, and um, I, I think they'll demonstrate to other people that, that they're perfectly normal and able to fit in like everybody else. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to end this interview. So thank you so much, Tony, for your time and, and your words. Good. And I enjoy participating. And let me know, um, you know, whenever you decide to share this with the world.